0: Well, good morning, real life. My name is Justin Jordan. I'm the lead minister here. And uh, I was just talking to our team out in the lobby a little bit as you guys are coming in. And um, I've been gone the last three weeks. And it's been a nice little time of break uh, with the family uh, out at the baseball park a lot. And uh, I was joking with them. I said, Who are all these new people? Like, where do they come from? It's like a totally different church right now when it comes to summer and all of the new people that are here. And if I haven't introduced myself or met, I'd love to meet with you. But uh, I have officially moved into summer mode, like I talked about. So this bad tan line of sunglasses and the baseball hat. I am a baseball coach of my son's baseball team. And so uh, summer, we get outside a lot and um, eventually come about September, October, my skin gets back to the normal uh, color without the bad tan lines. Um, But uh, I want to let you know we're starting a new sermon series today. And uh, to be honest with you, I'm entering in today just really convicted, uh, challenged, because as much as I spent this week getting ready for this sermon series, Summer on the Mount, where we're going to be going through the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus Uh, Preaches, um, there's debate whether it's one big sermon, a lot of little sermons have been brought together. Um, There's a lot of powerful things that are talked about. And uh, really, at the core of it is who are we supposed to be as a people? How do we live in the kingdom of God? And the reason why it's convicting is because it's so quickly clear to me how often I fall short of the things that Jesus wants for me and how he wants me to live. And that became really clear Uh, once again yesterday uh, in the midst of a really close baseball game where emotions ran high. Do you know what I'm talking about? And it's okay to be passionate. It's okay to be intense. Um, I'm I'm walking into today's sermon going, man, I think I missed it a little bit yesterday. Like I missed it a little bit yesterday. And being convicted of that and, and asking the question, what is it that I'm fighting so hard for? What is it that I'm fighting so hard for? And does it line up with what Jesus wants? I don't know if you realize this or not, but in the church, there are lots of conversations that are going on right now in the church uh, when it comes to really debated topics and heated topics, emotional topics. And if you're not aware of this, just join Twitter and you'll see the debate that's taking place in regards to lots of heated topics, topics about politics. Uh, topics about abortion, topics about women's roles, topics about the LGBTQ community. And as we engage in these conversations, um, I find myself having an opinion, and that's there's nothing wrong with having an opinion about those topics. There's nothing wrong with having a biblical opinion about those topics. But oftentimes, just like in a baseball game, things get heated, emotions rise, and whether we realize it or not, we begin to ha- we have to start asking ourselves a couple questions. What am I living for? What am I living from? And what is it that Jesus is actually inviting me into when it comes to representing him and his kingdom well? At the heart of what we're talking about today, Sermon on the Mount is going to kind of start addressing some of that. And if we're not careful as Christians in evaluating what I'm living for and what I'm living from, in the midst of those topics, in the midst of those conversations, not only do emotions run high, but here's the reality. For some of us, we actually begin to experience pain. Pain that we have actually experienced in our own life because of our own decisions or even pain that we've experienced from other believers in the midst of these conversations. And pain becomes something that we have to learn to process. We have to learn to process. How do I approach the difficult pain, the difficult conversations, the difficult things of today, and what does it mean to live in God's kingdom? What does it look like to be his follower? And what if God gave us a way of living in his kingdom, and that way of living actually brought us healing? This is the things we're gonna be wrestling with today as we get to Matthew chapter five. And so I'd love for you to turn your Bible, Samantha chapter 5. Let me give you a little bit of a background as to what's going on in Matthew chapter five, we've got Matthew chapter one through four. I just want you to kind of see kind of Matthew's progression here as he's starting his gospel narrative of Jesus in the account. As Matthew chapter one, we get the story of Jesus' birth and him coming, but at the core of his birth and his coming is this rescue operation for the world. He's here to confront evil and declare to the world that He is the king. He is the Messiah. He is the one that the Jews have been waiting for all of these years. And he's here to restore God's reign. And what he's really here to do is to start the process of creating a movement of followers that are going to live very differently than how the rest of the world operates and how the rest of the world lives. And so it's a proclamation of Jesus being king, it's a proclamation of good news as his hearers are listening. Then we move into chapter five the Sermon on the Mount. This is what Jesus says, as the crowds of people that are coming, why are they coming? Because Jesus is doing miracles, he's healing people, and they they want to know, is this the Messiah we've been waiting for? Is this him? And they're coming and following, he says, when the Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Here's what's really cool about going over to Israel. Every single person that is a follower of Christ, I believe, needs to go to Israel at least once in their lifetime. Because when you begin to read the Bible and you actually stand in the places that the Bible talks about, it changes the way you see the scripture. I don't really know how else to describe it other than this. The Sea of Galilee, in the region where Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount, it looks a lot like lucky peak reservoir in the hillsides around there like as i was flying into jerusalem and looking down i was like are we are we in jerusalem because this looks like southern idaho it looks like southern idaho and you might be asking even though there's crowds thousands of people that are coming to see jesus is there really an opportunity for him to preach to the masses there is there's rolling hills. And you can imagine the rolling hills of Lucky Peak and a 1,000 people up against the hill and Jesus actually speaking to the crowds across the canyon and listening to the conversation. Have you ever been in rolling hills of the foothills and been able to hear people's conversations that are 300 yards away because of the amphitheater effect in the foothills? This is kind of what it's like over in the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus is preaching to the crowds and he says to the crowds this, Blessed are the poor in spirit. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecute the prophets who were before you. This is the section of Scripture that maybe, if you're looking in your Bibles, it says the what? It says the Beatitudes. A list of blessings... Of, of, of people in regards to life that is, that they are navigating, that they are blessed based upon how they approach the things that are going on in life. And I used to actually think of this section as like each statement kind of being a different individual or a different circumstance. Have you ever read it that way? Maybe this person's in this situation, this circumstance. But the more that I actually read this and the more that I actually reflect on my own personal journey, I think these statements are more like a process of growth, a discipleship journey, a pathway that's all connected and is like scaffolding that's tied to living out the kingdom of God in a life of healing. Let's spend some time going through these. The first one poor in spirit. What does this mean? It's those that are spiritually bankrupt. Have you ever been in that place? When you've been to the end of yourself. Those that are living a life of repentance, a humility. People that maybe are hurt, that are broken, that have decided that they are going to be in a place, in a posture where the only thing that really matters is God, what do you have for me in the midst of my brokenness? What do you have for me in the midst of my humility? Jesus says these people are the people that are open to actually receiving the kingdom of God. The marker of someone who is poor in spirit, I believe, is is humility. Humility within their heart. Blessed are those who mourn, for you'll be comforted. Those that mourn over their own sin, a recognition that they have fallen short, but not only a recognition of their own sin, that they mourn for others, and a mourning for others in the midst of the circumstances that they find themselves in. And the only way that that takes place, a mourning of your own sin, and a mourning of of others and the sin that they've been through, is if you actually have Poor in spirit and humility. Isn't that right? Have you ever noticed that in the midst of facing your own sin, oftentimes there are tears that are involved? There's a mourning that's involved. As you watch other people navigate difficulty in life or difficult, painful things, there's a mourning that takes place for them. Jesus says that those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn, that you will be, what's he say? You will be what? Comforted. That if you're willing to walk in humility, if you're willing to recognize your own sin, if you're willing to mourn what is going on in your own life, in the life of others, you will be comforted. And it's been in my experience that when I am living in this place, living in this posture, there's oftentimes God shows up in really miraculous ways. He begins to comfort me. Whether it's through a word, like the word that Beth just read over us, whether it's through prayer, whether it's through another believer who comes and interacts with me and loves me and meets me in the midst of my pain, Jesus says that we will be comforted and we are blessed. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. What does meekness mean? I think meekness oftentimes gets a really bad rap, but meek is those that are powerful, but use their power for constructive instead of destructive purposes. I like the way that one person wrote it. Its strength that is bridled. Strength that is bridled. Which as I recognize on where I was at yesterday in the baseball game, I was not meek. It was unbridled. And I was right, but it was unbridled in my righteousness. But Jesus says that the people that actually live out the kingdom of God are meek, that their strength is bridled. Those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, that you will be filled. These are people who seek to confront evil in their own hearts because they recognize that they are living for Jesus and for his purposes, not for the way of the flesh, not the way of the world, And Jesus says, those that hunger and thirst for righteous, right living, that they are the ones that will actually be filled fully. He said, blessed are those that are merciful, for you will be shown mercy. Those that recognize they have received mercy, therefore are dispensers of mercy to others. And the only way that you can actually be a merciful person is, is if you start the process of recognizing that you are poor in spirit, that you have to confront evil in your own heart, that you have to then seek for righteousness with everything you've got, and you recognize that oftentimes you are not meek, you are not righteous, and therefore you are moved into a posture of humility. So then when other people aren't perfect, you are quick to recognize that they are just like you. And because God has shown mercy to you, you have the ability then to show mercy to others. And Jesus is inviting us to show mercy as we have been shown mercy. Blessed are the pure and clean in heart, and the way it can be translated, that those have an unyielding devotion to right living. And that because you have a devotion to right living a purity in your heart you will actually see god why is that here's why i think that is is because people that have a pure heart a clear heart they live with a desperation to see and hear from god every morning waking up god i want to hear you i want to see you i want to experience you These are the statements that come from someone who has a pure heart. They are doing everything in their power to experience all that God has for them. And Jesus says that those who pursue me, those that pursue my kingdom, with that type of clarity and pureness in heart, you will see and you will experience me. A desperation. Peacemakers. Those that seek peace. Peace. Because they love people God's children A bringer of peace Marks you As a child of God Jesus says Which then Culminates to the last one Blessed are those who are persecuted And he says to rejoice Say what? Rejoice? Say what? I don't know about you That doesn't sound like fun but Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. You are blessed and you are called to rejoice. What does persecution look like for righteousness? Obviously, we know the physical, physical part of persecution. But I would argue that in our country, we are blessed to not necessarily see physical persecution like maybe in other countries and other places. However, what does the emotional and mental persecution look like? About assumptions being made about you. Narratives being made about you. Gossip, slander, lies, assumptions. Anybody experienced this before? In following Christ, Jesus talks about this reality of persecution that we are called to rejoice. In it, but what we must be quick to recognize that oftentimes persecution for righteousness isn't really persecution for righteousness, you're just actually living out the consequences of your decisions. Right? Are you being persecuted for righteousness, or are you just being a victim? Is a really good question to ask ourselves sometimes. We must recognize. The persecution is only blessed when it comes from a pledge of allegiance to Jesus and living to his way of living. I love this quote. It's standing against the world for the good of the world. And we have to ask the question, who determines what is good for the world? God gets to determine what is good for the world. This is the natural result of looking and acting from a place of living for the kingdom, for the kingdom of God. And here's the real reality when we think about it when we look at all the different lists of all the different things that Jesus is inviting us into, it's actually looking a lot like Jesus, isn't it? And the natural result of us actually living like Jesus, the real reality is, is it leads us to a place of most likely persecution. Persecution. And and so we should rejoice in that because here's the reality, that if we're living as how God designed us to live and living as how Jesus invited us to live, we are going to face confrontation in the way that Jesus lived because it's opposite to how the world operates. But we gotta ask ourselves this question. When our life is said and done and when we leave this place and when we see Jesus face to face, we gotta ask ourselves this question. What kind of response do we want him to have towards us? Is it one of rejoicing? That yes, you went through all those difficult things, but you did it in my name and my name alone. And I was able to bring glory to my name and to my kingdom. Or is it you won the argument at that baseball game? Good for you. But none of those people experienced more of me And so in the midst of the pain that you find yourself in this morning, in the midst of the difficult conversations that we have to navigate as Christians, we have to ask ourselves this question. Are we actually showing the world what Jesus is like? Or have we bought the lie that we have to operate just like the rest of the world to prove a point? And what is it that maybe Jesus is inviting us into to hold on to what is right and to what is good and what is true. But how we do it matters, church. How we do, it matters. How we have the conversation, how we interact with people, it matters. Because when we hold on to the truth of what God has for us, but live out the way that Jesus has for us, we actually are invited into experiencing the kingdom to its fullness. What is Jesus doing in this passage of Matthew chapter 5? Here's what he's doing. He's introducing his followers. Next slide. He's introducing his followers to his upside down kingdom that is starting new. And all these masses of people that are coming, you got to imagine that of hurt and pain they're experiencing in the midst of Roman oppression, in the midst of All these expectations that haven't been met in the midst of of even pain from the religious rulers of Jesus' day and them asking, God, do you actually hear me and love me? Jesus is saying, all of you, all of you who are poor in spirit, all of you who are meek, all of you who hunger and thirst for righteousness, all of you who have a pure heart, I am with you and you are blessed. You are blessed. This is what Jesus is inviting his followers into. I love the way that Jesus, or the N.T. Wright puts it this way. He says, Jesus is not suggesting that these simply timeless truths about the way the world is, about human behavior. If he was saying that, he was wrong. Mourners often go uncomforted. The meek don't inherit the earth. Those who long for justice frequently take that longing to the grave. This is an upside down world or perhaps a right way up world. And Jesus is saying that with his work, it's starting to actually come true. This is an announcement, not a philosophical analysis of the world. It's about something that's starting to happen, not about a general rule truth of life. It is the gospel. It is the good news. It's not good advice. And I want to tell you that as Jesus' followers and the masses were coming and they were listening to this, it was most likely to them like hearing a sonic boom. Have you guys ever experienced a sonic boom before? Okay, well, let me tell you the first time I experienced a sonic boom and what it did to my, like, soul. (laughs) It was last fall, late, or early fall, late summer, and I was on an antelope hunt out in the Owyhee Desert. I don't know if you know this, but the Owyhee Southwest Idaho is a playing ground for the jets of the Mountain Home Air Force Base. And while I'm out there hanging out, trying to get an antelope to come to a watering hole so that I can then harvest that animal and provide for my family and have an experience I could talk about with my kids, I hear a jet in the sky, and I'm like, oh, that's cool, Jet. But I'm in a blind. If you know what a blind is, it's a structure that hides me from the animals. Anyway, it's kind of getting louder and louder. And then all of a sudden, I thought an atom bomb had gone off. Because that sonic boom went over my blind, and it was close enough that the air that it caused almost caused my plastic blind to literally fold in on itself. And if you've never heard that sonic boom and how loud it is, and then your whole blind literally almost obliterates, let's just say that I almost had a bowel movement in the midst of watching (laughs) Antelope. I was like, what just happened? Am I dying? Did a bomb go off? I didn't know what this was. So then later on that night, I'm sleeping in the bed of my truck out in the middle of the desert and I hear these jets flying again. And I'm about ready to fall asleep. Oh, they're jets. And I'm really tired. And no joke, right when I'm about ready to fall asleep, same thing, boom, sonic boom goes off. And startles me and wakes me up and I go, I think these jets see me and they're just playing tricks on me. I don't know what they're doing up there. But it was, it's intense if you've never experienced a sonic boom. Like your heart rate goes up multiple beats, okay? Finally got back into town, and I reached out to my friends. I go, what is going on? He's like, oh, they're just breaking the sound barrier. They're just just going really fast. (laughs) That's really what it comes down to. That's what happens when you break the sound barrier. That explosion, that experience, is probably how those listeners felt when they heard these words from Jesus. Because for the first time, they had hope that God actually loved them Heard them, and they could actually experience the kingdom of God in a mighty, mighty way. My question for you this morning is how do these words hit you? How do they hit you? And are they like a sonic boom to your heart about what it is that Jesus is inviting you into? Is there a conviction to live differently from the words that you're reading, or is your heart hardened that the sonic boom isn't doing anything? Where's your heart this morning? In regards to the words that Jesus says about those who experience the kingdom of God, that this is how we're actually called to live. You and I are invited to live by Jesus' rule and reign of the kingdom, and it starts today. Today. You and I get an invitation to actually live differently than the rest of the world to actually live for and from something that is different that when we live differently people have the opportunity to go that guy, that woman she or he lives for and from something that is different and we as his followers get the awesome opportunity that when we do it right and when they ask those types of questions help me understand how you have such bridled strength where does that come from? And you have the ability to say, well, I, for a lot of years, I, I didn't live that way. But Jesus has done something new in me that I recognize that if I'm going to live for him and for his kingdom, I have to live with a meekness. So what would it look like for us to actually live this way? And I just want to make this graphic really quick in regards to what this might look like. <laughs> The kingdom of earth—it's—it's it's a way that's your way. It's a pride that leads the way. It's—it's it's a self-righteousness, a selfishness, a use of power for selfish gain. Those who ignore evil in their own hearts, the dispensers of wrath to others, a devotion to right living. Those that stir up conflict and live as a victim or intentionally persecute others. The aim is flesh and self. And as we look at the beatitudes, it's different. It's a kingdom of God. It's a repentance, a humility, a mourning for others. circumstances it's the use of power for constructive purposes not destructive those who seek to confront evil in their own hearts and because they understand the evil pervades their own hearts that they can be dispenser of mercy to others devotion to right living those that seek peace because they actually love people persecuted for righteousness that their aim is actually the spirit and a love for others So as we just look at this list, which one for you stands out? Which one stands out that you go, I gotta get better at this. I gotta surrender my heart to the way that Jesus called me to live. And I've already kind of shared mine on how I blew it yesterday, on how I didn't show meekness in the midst of a hard, difficult conversation with an umpire, parents of the other team, and an assistant coach on the other team, I still have more growing to do in following Jesus. What about you? I want to close by telling you this story. I am blessed to be able to coach baseball, but my daughter is a softball player and she is blessed to have a really good coach, which I'm thankful for. Because you've heard me say this before, what makes a society or community actually operate well, I believe are really influential people. There's a couple of those I believe that make and shape a community. Number one, it's mom and dad. Mom and dad, you hold the most power and influence over your children and your eventual, Lord willing, grandchildren. And the second one, I believe, is teachers and coaches. So I pray for my kids as coaches because they will be speaking things into them that will shape them for the future. Good and bad. Here's what I found fascinating about my daughter's coach last week. He made a mistake on the field, and it was not an intentional mistake, it was unintentional. Good heart, wrong action because of ignorance. Have you ever done that before? Good heart, wrong action because of ignorance. Here's what I find fascinating. There's a group of people within this community of the team that are followers of Jesus. And it caused conflict. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. What a great opportunity! It was for a group of people to show grace, mercy. Blessed are the merciful. For they will be shown what? Great opportunity. I don't know if they passed the test. We have opportunities as followers of Jesus, to show the world what this looks like in every aspect of our lives. How does this apply? All over the place. (laughs) Would you agree with that? In the workplace, does this apply? Yes. At home, does this apply? Yes. What a great opportunity we have as followers of Jesus to ask ourselves, are we kingdom people? And let me just say this. I don't think it's too far out of the bounds to say, I think we probably live in one of the greatest places in the world here in the Treasure Valley. Would you agree with that? Like, we got it pretty good, you guys. We've got it really good. Like, there's not a whole lot of stuff that's like really, really broken around here. Just to be honest with you, like, you know, well, the traffic's horrible. Okay. It's all perspective. You ask our California friends, it, the traffic is not bad at all. It's all perspective. Like, we've got it good here. The question we gotta ask ourselves is people recognize how good it is here. We've gotta ask ourselves, are we living from and for the kingdom of God? We have a responsibility to elevate this community through our living more and more and more. Why? Because they're gonna ask the question, why, why do you go above and beyond? Because let me tell you about my Jesus. Let me tell you about what he's done for me. Because here's the, here's the reality there's a lot of really great things here in the valley, but because it's great, people don't recognize the source from which it comes from. So there's a righteousness, but they never get to the source of it. And that's our responsibility hold the line in our community but to then point them this is the source it's Jesus it's what he's done for me what he's done for you so we close out this morning I just want to invite you to reflect on what next steps you need to take And the first one is this is if you've never declared Jesus as your Lord and your Savior that's the first step Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those that are humble enough to say, I need Jesus because, yes, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Yes, I'm full of potential, but I am also a sinner. And I want to be saved by His life-saving grace. And if you're ready to believe and accept Him as your Lord and Savior, He, He calls you to be baptized into Him, to be made in the newness of life. For some of you, you've already taken that next step. And so the question is, is what part of this Sermon on the Mount does it need to be surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus? And what does it look like for you to not only live it out, but for your family to live it out to the best of your ability, knowing that you will fail along the way, but that His grace is sufficient? As we get ready for communion this morning, I just want to invite you to have a conversation with Jesus to prepare your hearts for communion. And if you didn't receive communion as you came in this morning and would like to take communion, these amazing ushers would love to serve you. Can you just raise your hand and they'll be sure to give you the elements. Keep those hands raised, they'll, they'll find you. And let's get ready to have communion together.